welcome to Get Your Book Done. I'm your host, Christine Closer, a Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestselling author, award-winning publisher, and book writing coach to thousands. I love helping aspiring nonfiction authors write, publish, and promote their best books because there's nothing more powerful than writing a book to transform your life, your readers' lives, your business, and ultimately the world with your message. So let's get started. Welcome everyone to today's episode. Oh my gosh, I have a magnificent guest here for you today, Alexia Vernon. And as you can tell by the title of this particular episode, it's all about amplifying your voice your visibility, and your influence through speaking. And, you know, we're going to talk concepts, but we're also going to drill down into some brass tacks and very specific things that you can do very strategically as a speaker to really help you get your message and your book out into the world in ways that wouldn't be possible without speaking. So I feel really just excited and, and honored. I've been blessed to actually introduce, well, not introduce, I have introduced her before, but I've interviewed Lex before when she was a part of my transformational author experience. And I just knew she's got such great stuff to share with you that I had to have her back here for my podcast, you know, live and in person to share her great wisdom with you. Now, here's the thing that I really want you to know about Lex. And that is like, there are a million and one people out there, as you know, who like, oh yeah, I'm a speaking coach. Well, a lot of them are just speaking to coaches and not actually experiencing and enjoying a successful you know, speaking career as a paid keynoter and things like that. But that is not the situation with Lex here. She's actually spoken not only at TEDx, but she goes in and speaks at Fortune 500 companies. She's even spoken at the United Nations. She speaks at professional conferences, CEO forums, like this is her world and she knows how to do it. She is also the author of the book called Step Into Your Moxie, Amplify Your Voice of Visibility and Influence in the World, thus the topic for today's episode. And just kind of a little fun tidbit of information about Lex is that her husband joined her in her business two and a half years ago. So she has the great blessing of working in partnership with her husband to serve people like you who want to not just like use their voice conceptually, but really use their voice through speaking to make an impact in the world and to build their platform and get their book in more hands of more readers. So welcome, Lex. I'm so excited that you're here. I'm thrilled to be here and to have this conversation as well. Yes. And we're going to start with a question I often ask every single one of my guests, and that is, you know, authorship. How did authorship come to you? Was it something you, you know, thought about for decades? Did it come to you in a lightning bolt moment? Like, how did you become an author? I honestly believe that I was born an author. I can remember <laughs> being a child and thinking to myself that one day I will tell my story in book form. <laughs> oh my uh, gosh! Probably like... give you some insights into the <laughs> fact that I didn't have the most chill childhood. <laughs> <laughs> With that said, though, I can remember sitting in therapy during my parents' divorce and my therapist would say, let's play games because, of course, if any of you have had an experience with therapy, specifically with children, therapists understand that they get to their best answers when they are playing with children. And I would say, I don't want to play any games. I want to write a book. And, of course, that was how she extracted everything that was going on with me. I wrote my first book when I was in high school. It was called The Newspaper Club. It was about my experiences with my friends. It was not a stellar book. However, 
I realized that pretty quickly. So the next year I wrote another book, my senior year called A Prayer Beside the Sea and actually went out and got a publisher who was going to publish it. And then my parents got very concerned when they read the content of the book. I went to a Catholic school. I was pretty sheltered. So it was about this girl who goes on a youth church trip and winds up falling in love with a boy who's about to be a priest. And they were like, you cannot do this. <laughs> this will ruin the future of your life. Well, I didn't put out that book, but fast forward a number of years. And when I first became a coach and was really struggling with platform, like a lot of coaches and consultants and experts do, I somewhat erroneously thought rather than focus on identifying my audience, creating an offering, building the business, and then using a book to catalyze myself to that next level of success and impact and thought leadership. If I just write the book, then the people will come. And so I put out a couple of books over a couple of years. And the struggle, which is something I hope we'll talk a little bit more about, was I was using the book as a tactic rather than using the book as an expression of work that I was already doing. Mm. And in both cases, I didn't want to talk about the subject of either book more than like nine months to a year after the books came out because I was still finding my message. And so fast forward again to 2000. 17, by that point, I'd been on the speaking circuit almost 20 years because I started pretty early and I'd had my business for over a decade and I knew exactly the book that I wanted to create. And the process was so different. So Step Into Your Moxie came out in 2018. And as I say in my acknowledgments, every single piece of the process from creating the book proposal to securing an agent to the final copy edits felt pretty dreamy because there was such alignment with the work that I was already doing. Now, with that said, as much as I love that book, I don't know. I can't envision writing another one for a long time, which to me is a really good sign because it means I got it all out there in that entity. Like I can't imagine pivoting because this is the work that I'm born to do. So I say that because sometimes I'm sure you have these people, Christine, they'll say, you know, I know I'm supposed to write a book, yes. but the idea feels elusive. It's usually a sign, not always, but usually that maybe it's just not the right time yet. And that's not because you're playing small, but because the idea isn't fully baked. Absolutely. So, I mean, it's pretty safe to say, I think that your background really as a speaker absolutely informed the way that you wrote this book that is really, you know, I will say that to me, it feels like Step Into Your Moxie is like your signature book. I mean, this is a book you can not just write and then like I have, you know, clients who went to the wrong coaches, wrote the wrong books and their book comes out and they don't even want to talk about it in the first month it's out. But whereas what you did, it really sounds like this is a kind of book that you will still want to be talking about 10 years from now, maybe even longer. Yes. And you know that's the goal, I think, of every author is to, to find that thing. So anything more you want to add about how speaking can really inform book content? Yes. And I appreciate it because it could be a big question. Why should you be speaking, in my opinion, <laughs> before the book comes out? But in terms of content curation, let's narrow the scope of that question first. A couple of reasons. Number one, 
If you are a coach, a consultant, an expert, and you're writing something that is in the prescriptive nonfiction or the narrative nonfiction, where it's a blend of story and key concepts, which because I've had some clients who've worked with you, I know that that's a sweet spot for you. Then in order to have that book feel conversational, it's really hard if you sit down and you just write that for the first time because then it's going to sound almost like a blog post unless you're really, really careful. But one of the things I experienced for myself with Step Into Your Moxie was everything that I wrote pretty much had been spoken either in a keynote or a retreat or a workshop or a corporate training. And that made the book so easy to have that conversational quality. Like, Forget about the fact I knew what I wanted to say, but my voice came out the way that I wanted it to, where people will often say, I loved the audiobook. And if I didn't do the audiobook and I read it, I still felt like I could hear your voice in my head as I was reading. So from a tone perspective, it's really helpful, but it's also really helpful in terms of knowing, well, how do I take these ideas that I have that I might be practicing in my business and how do I turn it into a conversation with my reader? Well, if you've been turning it into a conversation with audiences, and these don't have to be massive audiences, you might be doing this as somebody who's going on podcasts and being interviewed and sharing your story, your key principles how you want people to take action on your ideas. You could be doing this via webinars, and certainly you might be doing it live, speaking as a traditional speaker at the front of the room, or maybe as a facilitator leading group experiences. Beautiful. It is so important that people hear what you're saying about the value of speaking, perhaps, you know, and especially before you dig into writing, it's just, it's going to make it easier to write the book if you've actually spoken about it. And like you said, whether it's on, you know, big stages, small stages, you know, to the six women that gather at the local, you know, lunch meeting for the, you know, local women's network or whatever it might be. But yeah, so critically important. Now, how would you say speaking helped you in getting a book deal, right? Because like some of you may have heard the episode I did with Mark Allen back in February. And I believe, didn't you publish with me? I did with New World Library. Yes. Yeah. So how'd the speaking help facilitate that process? It helped in a few key ways. So I went a traditional publishing route where I went to an agent and then from there, my agent went out to publishers. And I want to be incredibly honest that I don't have 50,000 plus email subscribers. And one of the things my mentor told me who had had um, several major publishing deals and that I started to hear from colleagues who published was, no agent will take you at this moment in time (laughs) unless you have 50,000 email subscribers. Like, Why don't you invest in ads and get to that number and then go to an agent? And I don't want to suggest that having numbers won't help. It absolutely will. But when I put together my book proposal and sent it out, the very first agent that I really wanted said yes. And, you know, I'm really pleased I went with CSG Literary, like I had an amazing experience. And one of the things that my agent Steve said was, you know, your numbers, I, I don't, I don't remember exactly how he phrased it, but he said something along the lines of, you know, ah, I'll have to work a little bit harder. But the thing that I'm going to be able to sell is you've listed here concretely all the places that you'll be speaking in the next six months. How many people will be in that audience? You have, like I did a whole page from when I spoke at Inbound of all the tweets about my presentation. So 
first a literary agent and then a publisher could see that I wasn't just speaking, but like people really adored when I spoke and they tweeted and they shared content. So that was a huge piece of how I was able to sell the book. But then when it also came time for the book coming out. Hold on. Before before you jump ahead, Lex, I just want to make sure that those of you that are driving are taking mental note. (laughs) Those of you that are not driving are taking physical notes. Because like if you want to go the traditional route, like just that strategy, like, Mm -hmm. you know, snapshots of all the comments you're getting on Twitter from a talk, like that is not what the average person puts into their book proposal. Um, But then again, Lex, as you can probably tell already, is not average. So just make note, like what are the creative ways that you can show what you're doing and what you're going to continue to be doing to help you sell books when the book comes out? Because that's what the publisher wants to know. It's less about content and it's more about, is this person going to sell books? I love that you did that. Oh, 100%. And I know you you say this all the yes. time. It's about yes. the marketing plan. It's about the platform. But we get so stuck on people on an email list. And truthfully, publishers do too, unless you tell a better story. Because the reality is, is that your own audience, yes, people will buy the book. But of course, what's going to make the book actually take off is being able to leverage other people's audiences. And so the other thing that I made sure I did in terms of just where I was lining up speaking gigs was looking for a lot of relevant professional associations that had not only local memberships, but national memberships so that I might take some smaller gigs. And I did that year two leading up to the book with a few chapters of some of those associations so that, yes, I could build that relationship, but then I could also put into my book proposal that when the book comes out, I can reach out to these groups. I can hit a bunch of chapters. While I can't make any promises, it's quite possible that I'd be able to do something to the national membership. Oftentimes it was webinar-based and that they would help move the books. So having a list of all the larger associations that I had relationships with, companies that had lots of employees and saying, I feel that it's quite possible that a a large subset of this company or or that a senior leader who I have a relationship with, I've spoken at that company would buy books for a lot of their employees. And so that was another way I built my marketing plan. So, I mean, I, I understand that you're saying that, you know, like, yeah, the email list is important, but I also hear you saying that there are, you know, there are various strategic ways to sort of overcome that platform issue, if you will, you know, when you don't have these massive, you know, email lists or social media followings, are there any other, you know, strategies or thoughts you have in regards to overcoming that small platform issue that I know so many authors face? Maybe you're listening right now. You're like, yeah, 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 that like, I don't have a big platform, but I've got something so important to say. So what else would you recommend in terms of overcoming that small platform that can, you know, hinder the ability of someone to get their message out and certainly to secure an agent. So I want to deepen the piece around leveraging other people's audiences a bit, because one of the things I know I did well in my proposal was show that in a few different ways. So we mentioned it in terms of speaking. These are groups where I've spoken or where I have a relationship because maybe I've coached in the organization that could be likely counted on for bulk book buys or for sharing with their existing audience. But I also did that with individual thought leaders that these are folks who I have verbal commitment from 
who would interview me on their podcast or that would let me do a webinar for their audience. So individual people that had, and then I would list what the size of their audience was so that I could put those numbers into my persuasive case. But then I saw this recently with somebody who had done my uh, group speaker coaching program. She has a very tiny audience. She's very new, but she has a really compelling story. And so she did a TEDx at a midsize TEDx. It was one of her first speaking engagements. Holy smokes. We spent a at lot TEDx? Of, we, first, at TEDx? Wow. It, you're good, Lex. I'm good. No, I'm <laughs> you know, I was just going to say at the same time, you're good. <laughs> and, and she had a really extraordinary story. And so we were very strategic about, um, or she was very strategic. I played a, a role in it, certainly. But she was very strategic about how to title it so that it would have the highest likelihood of going viral on YouTube. Because with TEDx, I mean, certainly with any content, you know, if you're finding a term that people are searching, that's going to help beyond doing a lot of SEO around your name. And so she had 40,000 hits within a couple of months. And with a, with a list that is paltry, had an agent say, yes, we need you to do, to do a, a couple of things to be ready, but we want to help you take the subject of your TEDx, this big idea and your compelling story and put it into a book. And so they're now working with her to develop the whole proposal and then they're going to shop it around for her. And again, Primarily, the platform is seeing the proof of concept with the idea through a TEDx. And the second piece was capitalizing on that moment to get a bunch of local media interviews to then be able to say, and I have some of these media contacts. So the last strategy on this I would want to share is... For those of you who are coaches, consultants, and experts, you do not have to have a book to be media worthy. In fact, most media cares less about the fact you have a book and they care much more about the fact that you have a compelling time-sensitive hook. And so let's say that your work is somewhat around women's history and women's leadership, and you are pitching in March, great to have an angle around women's history month. Or if you've got an angle, I'm thinking about, you know, this time of year as you're listening to this, that in some way is around students, hook into graduation in some capacity, whether it's about how to find a job, how to find an internship, what to do when you graduate college and start to get some of those media pieces, because that's another thing that's going to look compelling. This is someone who already knows how to get media. So now if they have a book on top of that, they're going to be able to get even more media than what they've done on their own previously. Like, I feel like some people are going to have to go back and just listen to this episode again to really make sure you're extracting all of the nuggets because you're getting, like I said in the beginning, like we're going to get into some tactics here. And Lex just gave you like multiple tactics things that you can do. And of course, like if you're like, well, how in the world do I get a TEDx talk? You know, then you might want to actually consider, you know, go to the show notes and, you know, find out all about Lex because, you know, she is an expert in training speakers and you just heard a story of someone, no list, you know, no real platform, but on TEDx, 40,000 hits, you know, and on a topic that's relevant and had interest and bam, um, this can happen. So I do feel like some of you might be going back and listening again, just to make sure that you're getting everything in here. So thank you so much for sharing all that, Lex. My pleasure. So like, did you yourself have any challenges with your own book? I mean, I know a lot of authors that I work with, as much as we talk with them about marketing and, you know, how marketing the book is their responsibility, whether they're with, you know, Random House or they're with, you know, a, a hybrid company, or they've published on their own. 
you know, like the marketing is really usually sits on the shoulders of the author with support. And I personally feel like sometimes when I talk with my clients about that, especially in our publishing company, it's like they hear me, but they don't really hear me. And then they, you know, find that there's challenges. They finally need to sort of recalibrate after the book is out and they realize, oh, like what Christine really meant, what she said. So I'd love if you'd be willing to share any tips or strategies that you have on recalibrating, maybe if it doesn't go the the way you want it to go, or you know, overcoming you know, those challenges in the in the process of getting the word out there about the book. I had a few things happen early on that were challenging. So I expected that the majority of resistance in trying to get the book placed would come from my numbers. And while we sent to maybe 12 publishers, if I recall, only one or two passed because they said, you know, yes, we need the 50,000 email threshold or or something along those lines. Mm Most were having the hardest time understanding the structure for the book that I wanted to write and why that was necessary. Meaning, we'd love for you to either write a memoir or we would love for you to write prescriptive nonfiction, but you're not a celebrity. And so, why would anyone want to hear all of these stories that are embedded about how you lost your voice and then how you found your voice? And then we're talking about how to use your voice, but we're actually getting pretty tactical in the book. So how do you use your voice to speak up for yourself in interpersonal conversations with loved ones? How do you do it in the workplace? How do you use your voice compellingly on stage? How do you set and rearticulate boundaries? Like you're covering all of the speaking content, but with story. I don't know if the whole women have a voice and it matters is going to be trending now that Donald Trump, you know, has been in office for six months. Of course, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but that was like a big thing. It was like, well, he's been elected because this was 2017, early 2017, I was getting the book published. And like, I just think this wave after the, the big 2017 inauguration women's march is going to die down. And so that was frustrating to say the least. And to New World's credit, that was never a part of our conversation. Like they got it immediately. But even with New World, there was a lot of talk about, is this a business book? Is it a women's issues book? Is it a self-improvement book? And I will say not having a stronger stance around where this should be placed on bookshelves did cost me. So it wound up being placed on business bookshelves. And yet in the last year, I've won a couple of sizable awards for the book and they've been in the self-improvement or women's issues category. Interesting. So Hmm. I always tell folks who I'm working with on speaking, but who have book aspirations, get really clear what bookshelf this should live on. And it doesn't mean that you can't disrupt certain paradigms of what the structure looks like, but knowing simply where it belongs will at least help you make sure that it gets put on the right bookshelf so people go to where they should be going to find it. I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, like one of the lessons in my Get Your Book Done program is specifically I send people on a field trip to the bookstore to figure out where would my book go, to talk with a local manager of the bookstore. It is so important. So I'm grateful that you're making that point because a lot of people don't really think about it or don't go to the bookstore and ask themselves. Yes. Or they trust other people who know. (laughs) I'm a big fan. We don't know what we don't know, but sometimes 
when it's our voice, it's our IP, we actually know more than what other people can know in those early stages when you're shaping the book. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So I, some of you are writing down right now, oh, go to the bookstore and find out like, where would my, I want my book placed in the bookstore. It's good exercise. I forget the lesson number and get your book done, but if you've got the program, there's a lesson in there and you can go check that out. But I want to say one more thing real succinctly about the yes. question you asked, because it's such a good one about this like recalibration when things don't go the way that you want. So yes. A lot of folks in your audience might be used to launching programs where you open enrollment for something and then it ends and then it went well, it went okay, it didn't go well, you move on. The beautiful thing about a book is yes, in terms of placements for like bestseller lists, you might have a finite period of time to make those magical numbers. But for most folks, especially if this is your first or second book, that may not be the goal. The goal is probably sustained impact elevating your thought leadership, using this as a vehicle to attract your dream clients. And so to me, recalibrating happened after the book had been out about nine months in terms of where do I want to go from here? Just because my publisher has moved on <laughs> in terms of doing marketing <laughs> outreach and you know, to New World's credit, they do a whole heck of a lot more than a lot of publishers these days do. Oh, that yes. doesn't mean things are over for me. I've had some of my best bulk book buys since that initial window in my second year. Most of my awards came after the book had been out for a year. And so it behooves us as thought leaders to see a book truly as a part of amplifying thought leadership long-term and seeing it in stages. So based on what your current goals are in your business, how can you integrate your book and not allow yourself to measure its success and then stop after it's been out for six months or a year. So true. I always tell my clients, listen, like you're going to write this book once, but you're going to market it forever, or at least as long as you want to continue serving people and getting this message out in the world. So yeah, there's so many people's like, okay, my book's out. And then they, they just like drop off the planet or they burn out because they put so much into those first few months. It's unsustainable. Yes. And I've even seen people, you know, their book is out and then they, they do a full launch for the book, even a couple years after it's already been out. They're like, I want to, you know, I've got something going on. I want to, you know, bring more visibility to this book and they'll like structure an entire launch, even though the book, you know, came out years ago. So recalibrating, constantly moving forward, keeping that message out there, not just at launch time, but you know, in your case, for years to come, you're getting big bulk orders. You're, you know, seeing awards coming in. You know, in the second year, and I'm sure there will be more of that in the third and fourth and the fifth and the sixth, and you know, on and on. As long as you're integrating that book as a part of what you do, so. Brilliant, Lex. Well, I can't believe how fast the time has flown here. I do just want to mention very briefly something that I've got coming up. I want to make sure you know of a phenomenal free resource that Lex has available for you as well. But you, if you're listening now when this episode is, you know, will be released in mid-April, I'm actually hosting a free webinar on how to publish your book this year. So if you have any questions about like 
how do I publish? Is it the right for me to go the path that Lex did and actually get an agent? Am I going to be self-publishing? What about all these like publishers in the middle? I will demystify and clarify all of that for you in this free training. And I'll help you decide, you know, which one is best for me based on what the pros and cons are of each of these particular publishing paths, if you will. If you want to register for that, again, completely free, just go to bookpublishingmasterclass.com. Again, it's a bookpublishingmasterclass.com and we can get on live. It is a live training. I will be doing Q&A at the end as well. So it's just another way to go from like podcast to actually having a conversation in person on that training. If you want to get a book published this year, I highly recommend that you go do that. The other recommend, and the link is also on show notes if you can't remember bookpublishingmasterclass.com. But the other thing I want to make sure that you walk away with from today is in the show notes, you're also going to see an amazing free resource from last especially after listening to her today, I have a feeling like I can feel like, oh man, like I really need to be speaking more. Maybe I want to, you know, I'm like thinking maybe Lex is my coach for next year as I complete the mastermind that I'm in currently. Cause I'm like, I, I know I need to be speaking more. So if you're feeling that way and you want to just get the next step with Lex, she's got an amazing report. It is called the nine mistakes that coaches, consultants, and experts make as speakers. And these are absolutely mistakes that you want to avoid. And you can go right to the show notes. You'll not only see the link to grab her free resource, you'll see a link to her website. You'll see some information to go find out more about her book, or maybe some of you listening have already gone to Amazon and purchased your copy of Step Into Your Moxie by Alexia Vernon. But anything else you want to say about the nine mistakes uh, resource that you have available for everyone before we wrap? Yes, succinctly. I show you what some of those mistakes are and as imp- just as importantly, <laughs> clarify what to do instead. Yes. So that, <laughs> you know, if you see that you're making some of them and I want to be super clear, I've made every single one of those mistakes. The majority of my clients, no matter how seasoned they are, have made a whole bunch of them as well. And I illuminate. So what's the shift to make and how to do it? Beautiful. Thank you. And if they, I mean, you've shared so much wisdom and wonderful strategies and tactics that our audience can really take to heart today. But what do you feel like is really the single most important message, you know, overall that you want our listeners to walk away with from today's episode? I want folks to understand how important it is to take full responsibility for writing the book that they know they are supposed to write to get the support they need to make that happen. And that's why I love your programs, Christine, because they're so deep and wraparound, but they're also incredibly actionable in terms of getting people on the plan that makes the most sense for them. And knowing that when you hit hurdles, because you will at various parts of the process, a no from anyone at any stage, like a lot of my no's came from New World around things I wanted to do with my book cover. And it was funny because I wound up having a book cover that I didn't really love, but I was okay with because some of the other options I like really didn't like, but New World also didn't love it either. And then we wound up having New World come back and saying like, we've tested this and people don't like it. We went back to the drawing board and then I love my book cover now. So just this idea that sometimes we have to keep fighting and a no is never final unless we make it final. Mm. So brilliant. It is so important for authors to take responsibility for the book that they 
want to write? Because I don't know if you've seen this, Lex, but there's a lot of people out there who have been influenced by coaches who are telling them to write the book that, you know, is going to be the most popular one today or has the highest searches on keywords and things, but it's not a book that they actually want to talk about later. So you have to, as Lex said, take responsibility to write the book that you want to write, the one that you're going to be thrilled to be talking about next year, five years, 10 years from now. Because especially if you're writing this to grow your business, even if there's something that might get a bunch of book sales in theory, most of us are not looking just to make $15. I would much rather have my book land in the hands of someone who then does my high-level mastermind or brings me into keynote. And so that can be tricky that sometimes we're looking for just the book sale. But if this is a strategic tool in your business, you want to make sure you're writing the thing that's going to grow the business you want to grow. Absolutely. So well said. I just want to thank you so much, Lex, for the time you took today, for the heart you put into every answer, for the strategies and tactics that you shared. I'm just excited that this episode is finally out and people can receive your great wisdom. So thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you for holding space for this conversation. Uh, always a joy. Oh, I knew I knew it would be great based on our previous interview and like, yeah, it was great. So thank you. And of course, for all of you listeners of the Get Your Book Done podcast, I want to thank you not only for being here, for tuning in, but also for being the kind of person who is willing to do what so many other people aren't and to take action and to get support for yourself in the process of writing and publishing and marketing your book. Like you're here because you're up to something in the world. And I appreciate that and just want to acknowledge you for that today. And I'm excited to be with you on our next episode. And until then, happy writing, everyone. Bye for now. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Get Your Book Done. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to everything we talked about today. And if you want my help with your book, head over to christinecloser.com to learn more and get a free copy of my book, The Transformation Quadrant, which will show you how to blueprint your book in 15 minutes or less. The Get Your Book Done podcast is where the leading conversation is happening for transformational authors everywhere. And I'm grateful you tuned in.